Good morning again. If you would please turn to the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 8. I'll be reading Acts, chapter 8, verses 9 through 25. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, They sent to them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me, to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they, Peter and John, had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Now Luke, in this journey through Acts of the Apostles, He has already set the precedent that conversion to Jesus is a deep work of God, the Holy Spirit. He has shown us that being saved by faith means a real deep faith in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the King, the Savior. And up against that reality, Luke has made room for the reality of false confessions 
of faith in Jesus. And false baptisms, like he had already shown us with Ananias and Sapphira. And now in our passage this morning, at length he unfolds a false profession of faith with the case of this magic man, Simon. And so what we know from Luke in the early church, and really throughout the centuries, is that the genuine, true, faithful gospel goes out in preaching, and what happens is many people come to a genuine, Holy Spirit-produced faith in the Lord Jesus, and their souls are saved, and they receive baptism entrance into the visible, physical church on earth. And we also know with the faithful preaching of the gospel, there are false professions of faith and false baptisms, but people enter into the visible, physical church. The falling of the Holy Spirit that we see in our passage this morning, this is the the, the pivotal work of conversion and living like one cannot live before the Holy Spirit has come upon them. Cause them to come to Jesus. And we see once again from the pen of Luke that the Holy Spirit's coming and working. He you cannot see. The effects in the hearts of people, you can. And there are varied, deep, like as we read this morning from David even, praise to God. An adoration of His greatness. Speaking in tongues. Signs, wonders, life transformations, the effect of the wind that Jesus told about. Can't see the wind coming, but you see its effect. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. And that's what happened to the Samaritans as a whole in this passage. But along with it, there's Simon, and he is an example of so many throughout the centuries who don't see. They don't see what genuine believers saw where the Holy Spirit comes and opens their eyes, and through the Spirit, they see Jesus. Simon just saw the manifestations of the Spirit. And he focused on them. Simon got excited, but not about the grace of God in Jesus. He got excited that, look at that, a new, more powerful bag of tricks that I could use in order that people will continue to make much 
of me. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, may we taste even now through your word in this gathering the presence the power the infilling of your Holy Spirit may you convert dead souls may you lift up the downtrodden who are yours. We are a desperate, desperate lot for your supernatural working in us. Do it, O Lord, to the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. So now let's remember in our journey here the context that brings us to this point. Stephen had just been martyred, killed, and on that very day, Luke tells us not just a persecution, but a huge, a great persecution began led by Saul. And many Christians in Jerusalem have already now been jailed, and many others had to flee the city. And then they started preaching. So let's go back for a moment and pick up in verse 4 of chapter 8. Luke tells us, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Most likely a city of Samaria. We don't really know which one. And he proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, demons, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Okay, then Luke decides to spend a lot of ink to tell us about one man named Simon. And so as I read verses 9 to 11, just think about here the sin of pride and self-aggrandizement and the yearning for others to praise Him. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was someone great. They all paid attention to him from the, from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. 
He was called and called Himself great. It's the Greek word. Megale. We get our word megalomaniac from that. Where He's the center of His universe and He wants, however He can, others to notice that. He was absorbed with Himself. He loved the praise of men. And the people of the city gave it to Him. This man who practiced sorcery, magical arts, probably incantations, occult-like stuff, maybe even bags of tricks, because he was crafty, he amazed the people. And they called him the power of God. And then now, in the midst of that, Luke goes on and tells us this. But they believed, the people of Samaria that he's preaching to, they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized. Both men and women even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, Philip was amazed. So, don't miss it. Just in a few words here, Luke said a whole lot. Philip preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Those words are jam-packed, filled with theological significance. When he does that, he doesn't do that in two minutes. He is unfolding. Parables of Jesus, Old Testament prophecies of the Son of David. We'll get there in a minute. He is unfolding the gospel to them. Now, let's step back for a moment. Try to feel what we ought to feel if we understand the context here. Up to this point in our journey through the Acts of the Apostles, up to this point in church history, which is at least a whole year since Christ's crucifixion and resurrection and day of Pentecost. Up to this point, all the Christians are Jews. Becoming Christians in the city of Jerusalem. And not only that, these Christians, including the apostles thought that only Jews could enter the kingdom of God, even through Jesus. And now persecution spreads them out, and here's a non-apostle, Philip, led to go to the city here in Samaria and to preach the gospel. In other words, to do something that was against everything that he assumed. And he did it. And he preached the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ to the Samaritans. These Samaritans, they're not technically Gentile, Gentile. They're half-breed Jews. 
And not only that, their theology is different. And they worshipped in the wrong place, Mount Gerizim, and refused to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. Now, if you grasp the different theologies and the first century animosity that Jews had toward Samaritans, and Samaritans had toward Jews, then you would feel how shocking what Luke tells us is. But Luke now shows us through what we see here. The gospel. The good news of the kingdom. The salvation in Jesus Christ alone was for anybody who would believe. That anybody could enter into God's kingdom through the name of Jesus. Even unclean heretics like the Samaritans. And so Philip, he unfolded the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus to them, proclaiming Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and whom God raised from the dead to conquer death. And He appeared to many over a period of 40 days. And then He ascended to the right hand of God with all power and authority. Philip preached that it is Union with this Christ who is Jesus and union with Him alone that one is saved from their sins. Not ethnic identity. Not whether you're a Samaritan or a Jew. But union with Christ is the gateway into God's kingdom. And they believed Philip's message. And they received the okay by Philip and the other Christian Jews who were with him into the church through baptism. You've got to remember how extraordinary this was for Philip and these Jewish Christians there. So they're saying, what do we do? They sent 50 miles away. You got to go back to Jerusalem. You got to tell the apostles what's happening. What do we do next? So they did, and the apostles get word. And they get together. They discuss it, and they pray. And they finally decide, okay, Peter and John, you guys go. I'm going to send you two. Check this out and go to that city. And so they did. Now before I read verse 14 to 17, I'm going to go out on a limb with my interpretation of what's happening here first. Clearly, the Lord was orchestrating everything that's happening, including the holding back of the outpouring, like Joel prophesied about, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit 
upon these Samaritans who have believed in Jesus and received baptism. And he did it, here's, here's what I understand, so that his apostles, he only chose 12. Now two of them go down. Leaders of the church, the foundation of the church upon which it's being built. Christ is the foundation, and it's built then from there on the apostles, and it goes out. So he wants the apostles there to see the second Pentecost. Not, not the Pentecost that happened a year earlier where the Holy Spirit was poured out upon Jews. Remember the theme of this book, verse 8, chapter 1. You should be my witnesses in Jerusalem to the Jews. And then spread out to the other Jews in Judea. Then to Samaria. And then to all the Gentiles of the world. So that they would be there in witness. God receives Samaritans. Do you see it? The Holy Spirit is poured out. So let's read verse 14 to 17. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the Word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down to that city, and then they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For He, that is the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen upon any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So again, think about it. Jesus is a Jew. He's not a Gentile, and He's not a half-Jew Samaritan who reject all of the Hebrew Scriptures, except for the first five books, the books of Moses. No, He wasn't. He was a Jew. And here He is, saving Samaritans. But here's the point. It may not always be the point of the church on earth, a sinner's a, a, ethnic differences and cultural differences and religious differences, but it is always the Lord Jesus' purpose. There will be no division. There will not be a Jewish church there will not be a Jewish body of Christ and then a separate Samaritan body of Christ. There is only one body, one head, one church. Jesus chose 12 Jewish men. That's where the gospel starts to represent Him personally in a way that none of us here represent Him. 
We stand upon their word, and so must the Samaritans. And so the apostles are there to witness it with the other Christian Jews, and the Holy Spirit manifestly fell upon them. Even if from their culture the Samaritans were raised to hate Jews with the salvation of Jesus, they will need to submit to the authority of these Jewish apostles. And the Spirit empowered them to do it. And the flip side of that is that the Holy Spirit falling upon these Samaritans they're manifestly, most likely speaking in tongues. Maybe prophesying. They are, they are exalting God in a way they had never, ever done before. The Jews, who are believers, will have to welcome hated Samaritans. These baptized Samaritans. Here's what, let's, let's go back for a second. Before the apostles come, Joe, what do you think? This is what I think. The Holy Spirit came in them when they heard. They received with an open heart the gospel, the word of God. And thus that was the work of the Spirit. They were born again. They were baptized. The basic point is, they're saved. But the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen. And I just tried to explain why I think that is. Got to wait. We need the leadership of the church to see this. But the point is, through the pen of Luke, Christianity, the promise of the gospel. Yes, it's forgiveness of sins, justification by your faith alone to us sinners. But the promise is also to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. That was his point in Acts chapter 2. And Peter preaches from Joel, the prophet, chapter 2, upon everybody who's his, young and old, male and female, teenagers, middle-aged. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. They shall sing praises. They shall see in a way they could have never seen. They will be affected at the depths of their soul with the resurrected, ascended Lord Jesus. However we put it, Christianity is to be experienced. It is not just an intellectual agreement to truth claims about Jesus. 
to receive the Holy Spirit, to, to, to have the Holy Spirit poured out upon you, is at its core an experience where the soul, where the person, where the sinner, in the book of Acts, Luke has been making this and will continue to make this clear. On the day of Pentecost, he lets us know all 120 or so in that room that day, the Holy Spirit came manifestly. And they were all filled with the Spirit, and they all began speaking in unknown languages that they had never learned. Then in chapter 3, he shows us again, they're together, many of them praying, and they were again filled with the Spirit. And the manifestation of it was, they went out and they spoke the Word of God Boldly. They were empowered with courage and boldness by the Holy Spirit. And then here in chapter 8, in Samaria, again the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And these Samaritans experienced something that was evident. You can see it right there in verses 17 and 18. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, what did he see? He didn't see the Holy Spirit. You cannot see the Holy Spirit. He is not matter. He's spirit. He doesn't come through the eye gate. Simon saw what the Holy Spirit caused. There was some manifestation in the people that was evident that the Holy Spirit had fallen. Maybe. Most scholars think, I think, probably speaking in tongues along with worship, praise, adoration, extolling God. In other words, maybe something like what Luke will later give us in chapter 19, verse 6, when he says this, And when Paul had laid his hands on them, these twelve men in Ephesus, when he did that, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. So, here in Samaria, all we know is Simon saw something. And then, a few chapters later, from chapter 8 into chapter 10, we will be coming there. But, 
We'll jump ahead for a moment because when finally one of the apostles, by God's kicking him, finally preached the gospel of Jesus to Gentiles in a Gentile home, Cornelius, the centurion, and there's 87 people in there, Gentiles, or 128. We don't know how many. Peter's there, and he's preaching. We read this in verse 44 to 46 of Acts 10. While Peter was still saying these things, that is, preaching the gospel of Jesus, while he's saying this, here it is, all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers, the Christians, from among the circumcised, the Jewish Christians that were with Peter, who had come with Peter, they were amazed. Why were they amazed? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on Gentiles. How did they know? You can't see the Spirit. Well, it tells you how they knew. For, this is how they knew. All of a sudden, they, the Gentiles, they, the Christian Jews, were hearing the Gentiles speaking in tongues and extolling, praising God. in a way they could not do and naturally, even in their known tongue of extolling God. They were experiencing God. God the Holy Spirit. And then later, Saul will be converted. He'll be up in Damascus. Jesus will get Ananias, get over there and pray for Paul. And Ananias finally obeys and he lays hands on Paul. And the text says Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And the result is this uncanny boldness to preach the gospel. A manifestation of the Spirit. Okay, This is Luke. This is Acts. Christianity is not a philosophy of life where you merely, merely, hear me, merely draw logical conclusions from premises. If A is true and B is true, therefore C, by definition, has to be true. It is not merely a syllogism. Don't hear me wrong. The gospel, the facts of it, the historical facts of the crucified Jesus and the resurrected to new immortality and life and the eyewitness accounts, they are true. True. Central. And if they're not, Christianity is a farce and a lie. The gospel is true. It is about truth claims. And the gospel is in no way illogical. But being a Christian is at its core an experience. 
It is an experience with that truth and with logic. It is being miraculously put into Christ by the Holy Spirit. It is being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It's an experience at its core of the heart. Of a heart-rending repentance from the conviction of its own sin and heart of faith in that message, into joy, into communion with God by the Holy Spirit. It's what's happening here in Samaria. And that, right there, is the context for understanding false conversions and false baptisms. Where the evidence of the Holy Spirit's work upon the heart is absent. Or to flip it around, where the evidence of the unregenerated, unconverted heart just makes itself known Eventually, and then again and again. And this is what we see in Simon. And Luke means for us, the readers, to see it. To be warned and to rejoice. I know Him. Do you know Him? That you should be filled with an assurance of your salvation. He means for us to see it. And then, after Philip preaches the gospel, there's miraculous signs that the Lord is doing through Philip. Luke tells us that Simon believed. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles that were performed. Simon was amazed. Of course he believed. This has happened. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times over the centuries. People get awed at manifestations of real Christians. And say, I believe. Why wouldn't Simon believe? He's the magic man. He doesn't have the power that he saw happen here. Of course I'm going to believe. These signs and miracles, the text says, are amazing. He was amazed by them. And so as Luke goes on with his story, he shows us that the fruit of Simon reveals that this 
belief of his was not a saving belief. It was not in him a personal coming to the crucified, risen, ascended Lord Jesus for eternal salvation from my sins. It's not what it was. Let's read on. Start with verse 18. The apostles have already come down. They laid hands on them. The Holy Spirit fell. And then we pick up. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Hey guys, I got a lot of money. I'm in, I'm in making good money in this business. $40,000 in 2019 American currency. $40,000 apiece. Just give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. I want that. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you as you perish. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter because your heart is not right with God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord if possible, if you could repent, that the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond, the grip of iniquity. In other words, with these very strong words of Peter, he is saying, Simon... You are not truly converted. You have no part or no lot in this matter of Christianity. Our Lord Jesus told us very clearly, by their fruits, you will know them and your fruit is bad, Simon. Your heart is unchanged. It is not right with God. You're still in the gall, the, the bile. Oh, that's what it means. All that bile of bitterness. You're enslaved to iniquity. In other words, he's still in his sin. He's not justified. He's not converted. But Luke said in verse 13, even Simon himself believed and was baptized. So the conclusion that I draw from this is that there is a type of belief, a type of faith that is not the faith that saves or justifies. When Luke tells us about Simon believing and being baptized, 
He is honestly reporting what Simon professed. He believed. It's true. But he is not reporting God's view of the situation any more than any of us churches upon earth today proclaim when we baptize people, we know the heart with God's omniscience. We don't. We're not expected to. We're supposed to obey and we judge fruit and we welcome through baptism. See, this false faith, it's a biblical doctrine. Now, I'll get there in a minute, but just, just for a moment, think about the, the hundreds of thousands over the last four decades in America. Kids raised up in Christian families in evangelical churches. Baptized. As far as they meant it, I love Jesus. Yes, I accept Him at 9 years old and 11 years old and 12 and 14 and youth group throughout their high school years. And they go off to college. And they come back at age 22. And not just the way they choose now to live their life manifestly as unconverted. They say, I don't believe the Gospel. This is not a few. That's not Bible. That's just experience. Bible is that Jesus warned about this. Predicted it. In the parable of the four soils, I, I can go with Jesus all over the place as he constantly would do this, okay? But just, we just go to one where he said, and the ones on the rock, not good soil, are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But they have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. I mean, it was faith that they believed, but it was not new birth produced faith. It was something different. Listen to these stunning words from John chapter 2. And notice how similar they are to Simon's faith. We read this in verse 23 to 25. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs that He was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people, for he himself knew what was in man. And Paul knows that saving faith is a life-changing work on the inner man that will persevere to the end in clinging to the gospel. 
This is what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-2. To the church. Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold firm the word I preach to you. Unless you, you did believe in vain. There is a vain faith. A faith that is not a saving faith. Simon had faith. He had faith in something. His heart was focused on that something. He saw something. This is, yes, that'll be satisfying to me. And that something for him was the power of miracles and signs and supernatural phenomena. It was not the glory of the person and saving love of Jesus Christ. The object of Simon's faith was power. Power for him to be the guy used in order to be made much of by other people. Philip, his power, true power of the Holy Spirit, the manifestations, as that was happening in Samaria, those miracles and healings, and when the apostles come down there, that was not the thing. They were only windows through which to see the thing. Jesus, the Savior. Simon never saw through the window. He just concluded, I want the ability to produce windows. And so when Peter and John came, he was all the more amazed. And he wanted that window-making power. I'll pay you money to give it to me. He believed. Believed in power, but he was blinded to the object on the other side of the window, the Lord Jesus. What happened in the city of Samaria with the vast majority of those Samaritans, what happened to them is what did not happen to Simon. To summarize it in short, what happened to them was 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown, that's in order to see, in our hearts, to give the light 
of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's seen with saving faith. That's an act of God, the Holy Spirit. Simon's faith consisted of mere amazement and hunger for power in order that he would be adored. His faith did not consist of conviction of sin, of brokenness over how he has so desecrated the glory of God, of a childlike wonder at the love of God and His mercy and grace to forgive Him through the Lord Jesus. It did not consist in what Paul says. He has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. This is not merely logic here. Into our hearts crying, Abba, Daddy. Father. See, amazement at the supernatural is not saving faith. And in verse 21, Peter tells him exactly what was wrong with him. You have neither part nor lot in this matter because your heart is not right before God. His heart was all wrong. He had not encountered the Lord Jesus by the Holy Spirit. He had not seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. His heart, Peter says, literally from the original, is not straight. It's crooked. It's not right. It's a hard issue. Why? Because he had not come to true faith and repentance. And so Peter gets right to the point in verse 22 to Simon. Repent! Repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if it's possible, you can repent. If it's possible, you can bring yourself to that. Then the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. Peter told Simon, You pray to the Lord. But verse 24 says, And Simon answered, Peter, you pray for me to the Lord. Then nothing of what you said may come upon me. Simon cannot even get himself to pray directly to the Lord. His heart is not 
right with God. He has no genuine saving faith to repent. Every one of us in this room, do you know that you have a genuine affection? Affection. A yearning to know. A love for Jesus. The gospel of salvation. Then, like the majority of those Samaritans, we are not like Simon. We are to know that Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead for our justification before Almighty God. And Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us forever. And not only that, that He ascended to the right hand of God with all power and with all authority. And one of the, one of the main reasons He ascended was in order to send upon us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit to apply what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Both of those coming together are the saved people. And without the Holy Spirit applying it to us mercifully, there is no salvation in that soul. If any of you in here think, I want to be saved, I don't know if I am, then pray. God, change my heart. Pour out your Holy Spirit upon me. Mercy flows from the cross. And we who have been in Christ for a day or 50 years, we see, we see through the window of God's Word and miracles and manifestations and worship and the Word and communion, we see the beauty of Christ through the window of the Gospel. And not only that, we are to know through that window what happened to us. The Lord Jesus opened it up in a nanosecond and He grabbed a hold of us. And thus, we grabbed Him. We have embraced Him. We, unlike Simon, are saved by the work of Christ and the application of the Holy Spirit. 
And we are meant, we're meant to go on experiencing the Holy Spirit's power working in us and through us. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Holy Trinity, is our communion with the Father and the Son. And it is in our being affected with the whole soul, not merely in the mind. It is in our being affected by His presence and His indwelling that we are being sanctified from one degree of glory to another. It is living in the power of the Spirit that causes us not to be of this world, though we live in it. Because we are to be walking in an unseen realm, the realm of the fullness of the Spirit. And so I plead with us and God, by your mercy, let us go on pressing into being engulfed with the power of God the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And let us obey the command of the Lord Jesus through the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5. Be being filled with the Holy Spirit. Singing your hearts out. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Absorbing His Word. Praying. Meaning it. And constantly desiring for that fountain to flow up. To flow up from within us. And constantly draw us us and our wills and our affections toward Him to the glory of God and our Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Father, we thank You that, oh, Jesus, as You sat before Your apostles that night and You told them, it is better that I go away because if I don't, then I won't send the Holy Spirit. But you did. You accomplished the work and then you sent him to apply it. Not just the initial salvation, but the ongoing sanctification and empowerment that we're so desperate for. Oh, cause us to yearn for your work upon our souls in power to the glory of your name. Amen. As we pass out the bread and the cup, just hold on to them if you're a baptized believer. And we will be partaking of them together.